Welcome to 818 Media's Queen City Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Gallion, and today we are talking with John Teichman and Jeff Walker about the resurgence of classic vinyl records. Hello, my name is Colin Gallion, and I am here today with uh, John and Jeff from the Ordoc uh, Vinyl Record Show. Yep, and um, and let's see, you're 17 years old, Colin? Um, almost. In- almost. In about a week, I believe. Okay, and you go to Nagani High School? That is correct. And you're a junior? Yep. All righty. All right. And then, um, so as a 818 podcast, the first one, we did kind of write some questions to kind of keep us in line here for you guys. Um, and I guess for our listeners, I'm Marnie. I'm the director of 818, and this is our first podcast, and I'm... Very excited, but also very nervous and feel slightly like vomiting. But I won't. <laughs> All right. So want to ask some questions? Mm-hmm. All right. Go ahead. All right. So let's start with the first question of the day. Tell us a little bit of your backgrounds. All right. Jeff, would you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Oh, go ahead, John. Okay. So... It seems like music has been a part of my life all my life. I mean, records, CDs, tapes, the whole thing. A big thing for me growing up was, you know, listening to a stereo in my family home. And when I became uh, a DJ in college at Bowling Green State University, I had a radio show called the Rock and Roll Power Hours. And that was my first experience playing records over the air, 88.1 FM. And it was a unique time in the 1990s where we played cassettes, CDs, and vinyl records at the radio station. This was pre-digital. You know, there wasn't MP3s and iPods and things like that. So it was very much queuing up the records. And that really, I mean, I also had a batch, have a bachelor's degree in popular culture studies. And so the two really went hand in hand. But music, you know, whether... It's on a Walkman or a CD player or a record player. Has always been a big part of my life. That's incredible. <laughs> and then Jeff, how about you? What is your background in music? When um, want to give us a little? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm sitting in my living room right now uh, in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and and there is no direction that I can look where I don't see records. And uh, that includes a photo of me as a two-year-old, maybe one and a half years old, sitting in a pile of 45 RPM records that were in my family house. I think they most of them had belonged to my aunts and uncles. Um, but I started listening to records as soon as I could put them on a record player myself. I had a record player in my in my bedroom uh, very early. Uh, it was a uh, Sears uh, all-in-one suitcase type uh, record player with one speaker and I, I was just always uh, fascinated by by the, by sound and anything to do with it and I started buying records as soon as I had money it didn't take me long to realize that if I didn't drop a 25 cent coin into a video game that uh, pretty soon I'd have enough to buy uh, another record if I didn't buy a 20 cent candy bar now this is when Hershey bars were 
were 20 cents, I could buy five for a dollar. But it didn't take me long to figure out that if I saved that dollar, that I could walk to Shopco from my house at Front and Magnetic in Marquette and look through the cutout bin and find a, a record for two or three bucks. In fact, I remember very early on looking through their, their cutout bin thinking that I was going to be there for a long time, but I only got through the A section. I bought a record by ABBA, a record by ACDC, and a record by Alice Cooper, and they were three, five dollars. I, I still have two of the three, and, uh, and I'm glad I do, because one of them was a, an Australian import of uh, ACDC's TNT, which is worth a lot more than a third of five bucks at this point. Not that money is what it's about, but uh, but you know I can't help but think of of it in those terms in some ways because when I had a, a mining journal paper route, I could go up to Teletronics Discount Records on Third Street, uh, just north of Hewitt on the west side, and buy a brand new record of new release at that time cost seven dollars and sixty nine cents, and with four percent sales tax, which is now six percent, that came to eight dollars even. But if I bought a if I bought an older record that had been around for quite a while, I could get a, a new LP by say the Ramones or somebody like that for six bucks, and I was totally enamored of uh, the experience. I went there. This is you know back in the 80s, you could leave uh, a school campus at lunchtime, so uh, I would walk from Graverett Middle School over to to Teletronics and just look at records for half an hour during lunch and make a list of all the records I was going to buy at some point. Now, naturally, this list got to be much bigger than my uh, paper route uh, income afforded me, but that has not changed. My want list is always getting longer. Uh, people are always introducing me to new music, and that's one of the things I find most fascinating about records and recorded music is that you can point yourself in any direction in any year, in any genre, and never run out of stuff to listen to. And I'm always learning from people like John and from people like Colin uh, about about facts, about artists that I didn't know and new things. And that's another one of my favorite things about records is that is that the learning comes from from everyone. You know that like uh, Colin said that, or we we learned today that Colin is almost 17. Happy birthday next week, Colin! I'll look forward to seeing you later this month. Thank you. Uh, but, as, as a 50-year-old, I'm learning from, from Colin, and I'm learning from John, and I'm learning from people in, in, uh, all over the world, on the Internet and in person. Very true. Music brings everyone together. Mm -hmm. um, although, sometimes we argue about what is the best genre and what the best music is. So, it's not a written question for our podcast, but how did the two of you become... like? meet how did you become like the the, the vinyl guys <laughs> just let jeff answer this question i like the way he answers this question well so i've, I've known john uh about 47 years now and uh i i put my hand on his mother's stomach when he was in there oh, wow. so um i've known john a heck of a long time and um you know, when uh, I started doing record shows at Ordock Brewing Company uh, in, in 2013, um, I was was really trying to supplement my income as an expressive arts therapist and life coach here in Lower Michigan. I, I was uh, flummoxed by how difficult it was for me, anyway, to get clients into my office. I'd 
had a successful practice in both Oakland, California, and in a a small town in Washington State. So I figured doing it here in Michigan, where I was from and knew a bunch of people, would be fairly easy. But I was wrong. So I I started coming up to... uh, to to do record shows in Marquette, um, I was very lucky that my brother Mike Walker, who was the owner and founder of Dia de los Tacos, was just getting started and, and was selling tacos at Ordock Brewing Company out of steam tables in the the back of the upstairs on the weekends. And he asked them if they would be willing to let me come up and sell some records. Thankfully, they said yes, and thankfully it was successful. And I came back to do it again and again and. Uh, and it didn't take long before I was in a position where I was asked to do a performance. Um, uh, our friend Nick Erickson was hosting with a Sequoitis Festival and wanted me to do a, a, a set of, mu- of live music um, at Donkers on their back deck, that uh, fire escape-looking area. Oh, wow. And I, and I thought, well, gee, I'm not sure how I'm going to be in two places at once. I'm supposed to be selling records at Ordock. Who can I trust to to help me out with this? And it didn't take long before I, I landed on my my answer that has been the answer ever since, which was John. So I called John. And I said, "Hey man, you asked me a little while ago if uh, you'd be if I if I would be willing to share that space with you." And I have to admit, at that at that first uh, time he asked, I was a little wary because you know I I needed to protect my 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 investment as I thought of it or whatever. Um, and I said, mm, I'm not sure, but when uh, but when I asked if he was still interested, he jumped at the chance. I'm glad he did, because uh, it wouldn't have continued this long without him. Uh, we've uh, we've created a, a great partnership where we have complementary skill sets that uh, that make it uh, successful for for everybody involved. I think, and uh, and a lot of fun at the same time. So um, it's a long answer to a short question, but there you are. Thank you. It was a very good, good, good background that I probably should have known before today, but <laughs> seeing that I've been to many of your shows. All right, do you want to go with the next one? I might as well. <clears throat> so you started the vinyl show about nine years ago, and since then something has been happening all over the world in that vinyl has, for some reason, made a huge comeback. And uh, with the resurgence of vinyl, how does that make you feel? Well, I'd I, love to I'm excited, that. but I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm always excited about records, so I'm going to turn this back to John and see what he has to say. Well, I'd love to think that it, it all originated in Marquette, Michigan. That's <laughs> a nice... Center, yes. Right, like it all happened in the... Like this is the, the vinyl destination for, you know. <laughs> but I think what, what really is amazing about it is that... We see people at our events, and there's one coming up October 20th through the 23rd, and this is this is the time that we see one another. I was remarking to Marnie before we started, like how we met through an article that 818 did on us probably about eight years, years ago, ago. Yeah. at the beginning of this whole thing, and it's about bringing people together. So the idea that you know we put out about 10,000 records and other things for people to look at is great it's also that right now that feeling of sort of i hope everyone will come to the party that we're throwing you know i hope everybody will accept the invitation there's always that feeling but it's also i think the idea that you have to be present you know and and we spent three years indoors 
a lot of people did. You know, so the idea of being present and engaging in something is really a special opportunity. Marquette is really great at building community. We're Jeff and I are big fans of building community and creating opportunities where everybody feels included, everybody feels welcome, and everybody's invited to to join in that experience. So I think records are a great medium because they've been around for a really long time and everybody has a record that means something to them. I like that. I like that. Uh, Jeff, uh, would you like to comment? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Colin. I, uh, I agree a hundred percent, John, with what you're saying. And, uh, you know, everybody has a record that means something to them, even if it isn't on a record. It could be a, you know, they could have experienced it as a song in a movie, they, an MP3 that they heard at a friend's house, a song that was on the, the, the radio or in the car or, or what have you. But the fact is that almost all of those songs can be found on vinyl. And a lot of the songs that weren't on vinyl 20 years ago are now being pressed in on, on uh, as records. And so... Uh, there's a there's a sort of a retroactive excitement about music on vinyl that I find fascinating. That uh, that there are uh, things that that people only listened to on CD or that never ever came out in any physical form until uh, that that but have been available for years to listen to are now being made into records. I'm also fascinated by the fact that that there are lots and lots of things from the past that are popular again in in new ways now it's always been the case that what what john and i would refer to as like legacy artists people like neil young or the rolling stones or the beatles are going to be popular with pretty much every age group because you know my parents listened to them at one point my my grandfather even said to me well jeff it took me 20 years to get to like the beatles so who knows maybe i'll like this <laughs> Death Leopard <you're> listening to. <laughs> But but I, I was surprised one day when a, a, a young man came into the our record show at Ordock Brewing Company and asked me for the Ink Spots, who were a vocal group um, that I, that uh, that had long been off the radar as far as I and most people in the record business were concerned. And then another young person came in and asked for the Ink Spots, and then a third. And John and I shook our heads and tried to figure out what the heck was going on, and. And then uh, after a little uh, uh, searching and uh, research, John figured out that uh, that the Ink Spots featured prominently in a section of a video game called uh, in the Fallout franchise. And, and, and it makes sense that they would use it because it's no longer, I mean, it's, I think the song is in the public domain, so it probably didn't cost them very much, if anything, to use it. And, and uh, well, it's a good song. I, I can't think of the title offhand. Maybe Colin knows or John remembers, but uh, but but it. Uh, uh, what I guess I'm, I'm getting at is that is that um, people's interest in music and in records comes from more directions than even I imagined. Like I didn't. It didn't occur to me that that uh, songs were going to become popular because of their use in a video game. I didn't even really realize that songs were being used in video games. I'm not a gamer. I'm a record guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the song was I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire. Thanks, and John. because it's, you know, it's set in like a 
like a fallout shelter in some sort of post-apocalyptic future. And so it's another song or record that really got a boost from the video game was Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads. Oh, wow. Specifically Big Iron and El Paso. And these were also songs that were in the game, too. And it was, there's actually a a radio station that plays in the game that people listen to. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And so people were searching at the shows that Jeff and I do specifically for, well, where can we find these particular songs? And I think it, I think what's different now than maybe 40 years ago that, you know, you would see a video on MTV or you would hear a song on the radio or maybe you would hear it in a movie. But now there are all these additional access points where you can hear music, like maybe in a TikTok video. TikTok is very mm-hmm. influential. Yes. And, right. you know, uh, I mean, again, like all of these other streams that lead to the river of music. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just... Yeah, TV shows uh, uh, definitely play a role in what kids are listening to and what records like the, they're going to want. Like that Kate Bush song. Oh, Stranger Things. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking of that, too. Yeah, that's everywhere. Everywhere. And, and I, I hope it's okay to say that there will be a couple copies of The Hounds of Love available at the Next Door Doc Brewing Company record <laughs> That show. is good yeah. to know. People are going to want that. You're going to want to run up that hill to get that record. <laughs> they, they are indeed. Well, uh, Colin brought up a question that um, what do you think Like maybe the average teenager who doesn't listen to vinyl misses out by just listening to perhaps the streaming like MP3 versions of of songs or albums well that, that that is a great question but i'd honestly really like to hear colin's answer to that before i weigh in okay. on it oh um i don't know i haven't really thought that out but i think well we talked about it we talked about like album covers and like the artistic right exactly so <clears throat> i brought with me today uh a copy of one of my favorite records. It's uh, Led Zeppelin IV. It's their 1971 uh, fourth album. And obviously, if you go to find this record on a streaming service, you're only going to see the cover of the hermit with the twigs on his back. You're not going to see the back cover of the album itself, where it shows the building. But you're also not going to see... uh, when you unfold the album itself, you're not gonna see like the rest of it. Like here, it's it looks like a, a hermit looking over like a little village. Like you don't you don't ever see that when you're listening through a streaming service. You don't see the artistic value of the cover alone. That and also the quality of the music itself changes. If you listen to a record, it's gonna be very crisp it's going to sound very clean it's going to sound like they took the original recording and they freshly put it on this record whereas when you listen to it on a streaming service or on a cd that is a computer's best attempt at trying to recreate the magic that can be found on a vinyl record and really in general Vinyl would be the best to listen to any kind of song because it's crisp. It sounds clean. It's it, it gives off a more natural feel. It's a more natural quality than 
listening through Spotify or through CDs, things like that. Colin, when you listen to music, do you primarily put on vinyl? Oh, yes. To? Yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite things to do is <clears throat> if there's a song I really like, if there's an album I really like, I would listen to it on my phone. I would, lis- I would uh, put it on like when I'm doing homework. Like I would ask Alexa, play this, play that. And I get a bigger feel and a bigger love for this album. And then when the time is right and I go to these vinyl shows, I go out, I buy the record, and I stop listening to it on my phone and like on my Amazon because I am, I am to the mercy of vinyl, basically. Nice. <laughs> well, Colin, I think you answered that perfectly. I don't think I could have said it any better. Uh, you know, when, uh, when CDs were new, Frank Zappa who is, uh, uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately, but was a very prolific recording artist, said that, that CDs didn't have what vinyl had, which was fondle and fetish value. Now, I want to take a moment and define fetish because when people hear the word fetish, they think of, of like black leather and, you know, uh, and chains and, and sex stuff. But fetish, it doesn't, it's not what it means. It, it, it can relate to that. People can have a leather fetish. But what it, when, when you fetishize something, it doesn't sexualize it. It just means that you, you ooh and ah over it. You fawn over it. You, you turn it around and look at it from every angle and are, and are, are fixated with, with by it and, 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 and uh, fascinated by it. And so, so uh, I think he was right because, you know, like Colin's describing, uh, the, looking at the various aspects of the cover of Led Zeppelin Four. You know, you wouldn't notice when you without without opening up the cover that that hermit with the sticks on his back is a, is a piece of art hanging on the wall of a partially destroyed house. You wouldn't see that because it's just this tiny little picture on your phone. But if you if you're holding this twelve and five eighths by twelve and five eighths uh, inches square record cover in your hand, you have the opportunity to look deeply into the the artistic vision of the the recording artist and or the art company that they hired to work with them in that case you know i don't think it was jimmy page or robert plant that chose the artwork but probably uh i I can't remember if it was hypnosis or somebody else but uh uh, there there were these very big um uh visual arts companies in england at the time that were responsible for a lot of the most iconic artwork in our uh in our awareness, like the record covers by Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, and, and stuff like that. But yes, yeah, Colin, good good answer, sir. All right, let's uh, let's head on with the questions now. So, on the topic of like the quality of vinyl, uh, what in your opinion makes a great record? I guess we kind of answered that already, but John, you have any? Yeah, I mean, I think about some of my favorite records. You know that that I remember that I, you know, because whenever Jeff and I do these events, people walk into the room and they say, "Are you selling your record collection?" <laughs> and it's not our record collection. The record collection is somewhere else. You know, but but the idea that. There are special records that mean a lot to 
the individual because of when you heard it, how you heard it. You know, maybe it's autographed, maybe it has, maybe it's colored vinyl, maybe it has the um, the inner sleeve has the lyrics on it. It's that whole experience, you know, like you were opening the record and then I took the next step and took out the inner sleeve, which has these symbols for the members of the band, Led Zeppelin, and it has additional credits and details and even the font. This is really funny because you go to Nagani High School and I was just there for a Northern Michigan University visit and the Led Zeppelin font that's on this record sleeve was on the passes that were sent out to the students to come down to my presentation. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Now, those kind of little details are the things that really pull me in. I mean, sometimes a record is embossed where the, the lettering and the logo is raised and you can feel it on your fingers. There's a Bee Gees record that's called Odessa that is flocked like red velvet. Oh. And it's this rich, really like, I mean, it, it is a thick record and it feels like a, like a, like a couch or like a, like a fleece blanket. Wow. And that's the stuff that pulls you in that you can't get, like you said, on the screen that you can't get from an MP3 is that whole experience. And those are the records that are most meaningful. I mean, yeah, the, it's about the songs. It's about the artist. But it's about that that whole 360 kind of experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the thing about it, too, is that, you know, I've actually had people come into our shop, the Emporium, here in downtown Marquette, and they said, I'm looking for some distressed records. I'm looking for some records that look like they're 45 or 50 years old, that have ring wear, that have little scuffs at the corners on the jackets. And sometimes people will even hold the record up to their nose and they'll smell it. Okay. Because there's... <laughs> A real specific smell. No, to I, I totally get it because I, I don't smell records on the regular, but books <laughs> like older books, I think they have that like. Mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> so, so I'm sure people feel that way about records. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's all of those things. It's that whole immersive experience. That I mean, they talk about virtual reality. Well, this is the. I think the the record experience is a is a virtu is a is a reality experience because it's not right. virtual. Hmm. Since you brought up uh, your favorite records, what are some of your favorite records? Wow. I'm going to let Jeff answer that one first. <laughs> okay. Huh. Well, um, geez, that's hard. You're uh, on a desert island. All you have is a record player <laughs> and three records. <laughs> three records. Well, you know, first I want to I back up and, and, and say something about what makes a great record. And, and to me, one of the things that makes a great record uh, is that it's made well. And, and I want to talk for just a second about the, the idea of 180-gram vinyl, where people, uh, people fetishize 180-gram vinyl. They're like, oh, it's 180 grams. It's going to sound amazing. Well, I've heard a bunch of 180-gram records that sound like garbage because they weren't pressed very well. They weren't mastered well. You can have a heavy record, but if it doesn't have deep grooves, they're shallow, and shallow grooves mean less contact with the needle, which means less sound. So there, I, I feel strongly about that. I got my <laughs> out in the open. Now, as far as favorite records, boy, uh, you know, I'm, I've always been somebody who likes to maximize my experience and, and my dollar, so I'd be tempted to, to list three you know, 10 LP box sets and kind of cheat that way. But, but, but I recognize that that's cheating, so I might have to go with... Uh, with Black Sabbath's Volume 4 and uh, uh, Brian Eno's Before and After Science and geez, oh boy, this is hard this is really difficult for me 
uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't even do it. There's so many records in front of my in my forefront of my mind. Um, God, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the Devo Live Mini LP. Ooh. Yeah, I. Geez, that's really difficult. Three is really hard. I mean, I, I could, I could maybe, maybe. I don't think I could live on a desert island, see, because I'd need at least three hundred records. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, same question. Oh my gosh, desert island. So. You know, you'd want to make sure that you had a shelter on the desert island to keep those records out of the sun, too. I will allow that. I will allow that. You may have a shelter. Okay. So, um, I think about the records I'm listening to the most right now, and a record that's been in heavy rotation for me, that I and I really feel like the, the best records are the ones where it's like, you don't get tired. You don't... That's the thing. You can't skip songs on a record. That, that is true. true. And I think that the best records are ones where you don't want to skip the songs because every song is good. And right now, one of my favorite records where I'm not skipping any songs is The Grateful Dead's American Beauty. Ooh, That's a great record. Yes. And it's a great record for me to put on in the shop because it just has this real like bouncy energy and it's just really sunny. And there's a great mix of electric and acoustic instruments on that record, and I love that record. My favorite record by a band that I feel is underappreciated there's a band called Guided by Voices. They're from Dayton, Ohio. They were founded by a retired or fourth grade school teacher and his friends in the garage. And they recorded a lot of their first records on like cassette tapes and Radio, tra radio Shack four track players and recorders. And the record is called Under the Bushes, Under the Stars. And what's really cool about Guided by Voices is their songs are maybe a minute and a half or two minutes. So you get like 35 songs on a record, oh, wow. which is awesome. And they're the best mix of like the Who and the Kinks and punk and psychedelic all wrapped up together. So they're really fantastic. And then my third record, a band that I really, really love with a lot of affection that is not really well known in the United States. And so I'm going to talk them up on this podcast, which will be widely listened to, is a band called Suede. And they're from London and they're still together. And they are the best mix of all of those big British influences. So some of their songs sound like David Bowie, and some of their songs sound like the Smiths, and they have a big guitar sound, and great lyrics, and great melodies, and just excellent, excellent records. So Suede's first record, which is just called Suede, is fantastic, and those are my three records. I haven't Boy, heard of Suede, so I'll have, that, to, I'll have that, to check it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're also known as uh, London Suede because at the time when th that they were current, there was another band called Suede, so they had to, they they were forced to identify themselves <laughs> with their uh, uh, their city of origin. I think they're touring, John. Actually, I think they're coming to the they, Detroit area. They are. They're they're going to be in Chicago, and I I sat on the presale and 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 oh, watched boy. all of the tickets and just couldn't. I, I got to see them in San Francisco twenty years ago, and I I think this is important too because. I think that you you put that record on and you're immediately taken back to that moment when you saw that band. I don't know if seeing them 25 years later if it would be the same experience. Oh. So I think, you know, the immediacy of putting these records on is like you get that same experience and you know, you're you're doing the whole ritual of cleaning the record and putting the needle down and letting the music just sort of envelop you. And that's also part of the experience too. 
I suppose you're wondering what my three favorites are as well. Yes, please. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, okay. Uh, Desert Island, three favorites. Well, first off, I would probably go with some sort of Pink Floyd. I mean... I'd have to say any kind of Pink Floyd. I can't specific... I can't... (laughs) I'm at a loss of words right now. I can't think. Uh, You know what? Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. I would take that one. Because... That's a a great title to have on a desert island. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, maybe a remake version. I wish I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, so, <laughs> wish you were here. Ooh. I just recently started getting into Peter Gabriel. Uh, oh, nice. S- specifically, I've been listening to his third solo album, which, by the way, he did not name any of his first four solo albums, so they're titled after their covers, so... Album one is called Car because he's seen in a car. Album two is called Scratch because the cover is of him kind of kind of scratching the cover. Uh, album three, which is the one I have, is called Melt and it looks like literally he his face is melting. And then the fourth is called Security and yeah, I don't get why the fourth one's called Security. That's just a weird looking <laughs> album, but I like. Uh, I would take uh, Melt because it's kind of when Gabriel started experimenting with the uh, world music. It's when he started to incorporate a lot more uh, traditional musical influences. I mean, there are songs like uh, I Don't Remember, Intruder, where it's where it's heavy on synthesizers, it's heavy on the reverb, it's heavy on the electronical aspects. But when you listen to Biko, which is the last song off the album, it <coughs> excuse me has this very traditional sound to it. It incorporates a lot of traditional uh, South African drums and South African instruments. <coughs> excuse me. So yeah, I would I would take that. And the third one. Oh boy. Zeppelin 4, of course, because, <laughs> well, it's Led Zeppelin's best album. And also, Zeppelin 4 was kind of my first introduction to Led Zeppelin. And funny story on that. So, I, m- me, my mom, and my dad, we were coming home from a Paul McCartney concert down in Green Bay. And the traffic that night when we were leaving was absolutely horrible. So, we get into the parking lot where driving out onto the road and on the radio comes uh when the levee breaks and the moment when john bonham starts smashing those drums i was completely mesmerized by it so yeah those are my top three wish you were here melt zeppelin four nice very nice choices so do you think um, more modern artists will take an attempt at releasing more of their songs on vinyl? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, pretty much 
anything like you think about Harry Styles, who has this really big tour going on right now. You think about uh, Adele and Taylor Swift and even a lot of hip hop artists. I think that pretty much everybody who's releasing new records is releasing a vinyl version of that record. And it might be colored vinyl. It might be limited edition. You know, there's there's going to be some some variations there. But I think that I think that it's something that everybody who's making music today really wants to to be a part of. And I think that maybe I, when you hear from a lot of people in the world of music, they really appreciate vinyl too. Hmm. Yeah, I think you know even uh, even bands from Marquette are looking at putting records out on. Well, several have already. I mean, the God Eaters have a, a vinyl ten inch. Um, uh, there's a, a new band in Marquette I hear called Main Street Run that's uh, just recorded a bunch of songs. Um, with Dylan Trost as at the helm as the engineer and producer, and and uh, um, I think they're looking at putting out a, a four-song vinyl EP. I hope it, that happens. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think so, Colin. I think more more artists are going to put stuff out on vinyl. Marnie, what were you going to say? Oh, I guess my question was: um, When did you first notice like the resurgence of vinyl, and maybe? the mainstream stores like Target start carrying vinyl again? Because it was definitely gone for years. Was it like five years ago, ten years ago when it started coming back, or more recent than that? If you had a guess, educated guess. Yeah. Ooh, it's hard for me to say because I never stopped right. looking for records. Right. It never went away for me. Um, and, and, I, and so I, I would this doesn't really answer your question but but it but i think it's important to note that that there was a a lie perpetrated on the buying public by the recording industry association of america um, that we were told led to believe that that record labels had stopped making records now they did reduce their output by a by a great percentage but uh, they still made records for most of their big artists, uh, both in the United States but and in Europe and, and Asia. I mean, largely Europe and Asia, and certainly underground or you know second, third, and fourth tier uh, record labels and artists continued to put things out on on records all through uh, the period where the CD was was king. Um, as to when it when the resurgence began. I would say it goes back at least 10 years, you know, I mean, um, I started seeing more and more things coming out on, on vinyl. Um, I think the advent of Amazon, um, changed things because there were a lot of, a lot of communities, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of Jeff Bezos and Amazon, but there were a lot of communities that no longer had a record store. And so there was no way to get records except through the mail. And once Amazon became uh, ubiquitous, you could get anything yeah. easily, and uh, and so I think that really changed the the landscape. Um, as we speak, I'm I'm looking out the the back window of my living room. Uh, John will attest to the fact that I'm looking out at a bunch of trees, but I can see the road uh, through the trees, and I just saw a FedEx truck go by. And it's going to arrive at my house in about 90 seconds with three big boxes of vinyl. Wow. <laughs> and 
I think to, to pick up the question that you're asking about, I think that, you know, like when someone brings in a, like Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon or Eagles Hotel California or, you know, Elvis Presley records or Beatles records. I mean, there are millions of those records across the country and around the world. And maybe in the, you know, 1990s, then there were thousands of records being pressed. But I even remember, and Marnie probably remembers this, Pearl Jam's Versus. Yeah. Okay. So Pearl Jam's Versus comes out in like 1993. And I remember reading about this just recently that the band actually said, well, we're going to do the vinyl release first for the first week, and then we're going to put the CD out. And the idea that there was like a period of maybe seven to 10 days where the only way you could get that record was to buy the vinyl version. And I think that, you know, that's what kept the ball rolling in terms of, you know, when I was working at that radio station from 94 to 98, you know, we would have vinyl releases that would show up and, it was very much, you know, like labels like Sub Pop and Touch and Go that, you know, that was my first exposure to vinyl records in the 1990s was through those small labels, you know, and it's always been a constant, but I think it's been at different levels and the level we're at right now is really high, but I think it's also about, you know, having choices. And so when, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I want this particular record, I'll say, well, we've got some choices in terms of how we can track this down. And my go-to is always to, to reach out to like folks like Jeff and say, hey, do you have a copy of this for this person? Or to also look at our good friends across the state, like our friends Jordan and Jess have a shop called Electric Kitsch in Bay City. Our friend Jim Gleason has a shop in Midland called Radio Wasteland. Our friend James has a shop in, in Grayling called Rotten Princess Records. Princess and the idea that we want to keep it like in the family. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I always thank people when they stop by my shop where I say, you know, I know you could have sat at home and sat on your bed and, and looked on your phone for this stuff, but you came into the shop or when you come into the show, you know, and that's what it's about too. I think is like making, making choices about how we want to consume this media. Mm -hmm. And the idea that like, I can look at this, um, this, uh, Led Zeppelin record that Colin has is I think it, it has one of Jeff's price tags on it. Like I can see that's Jeff's writing on there. And so it, the, it, it just, it's, it spins, you know, it, it's a cycle. It keeps spinning around. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, John. Good one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, so since you've been doing the vinyl show for about nine years, and John, uh, uh, tell our lovely audience when did you when did you uh, open the Emporium? Yeah, it was it was during the pandemic, and and I I said to my wife Laura, you know, it was really her idea, you know, that I said, well, if we can weather this through the pandemic where we're open only by appointment, then we can handle anything, and. It was very much, you know, like like people would call and and make appointments and and we'd get our masks on and everything and I'd open up the shop and turn the lights and people would come in and they would shop and it was really kind of individually oriented. So that's you know, in, sometime in 2020 and then here we are two years later and you know when I finish this recording I'm going to run over there and you know start grabbing boxes and and loading up the van because Jeff and I are going to meet in Bay City uh, for a show this weekend mm -hmm. and. You know, it's it's all of those things happening. I think that, you know, I mean, I'm 46 years old and it's it's really about, I think, having things to look forward to 
and and this idea too of connecting with people in different kind of ways you know the idea that like somebody walks through the door they're like we're from the netherlands or you know we're from kentucky or we're from florida somebody walked through the door say last week we're from florida and we're looking for a band called the ducks and they're from winnipeg canada and i knew about the ducks because they played the hiawatha music festival like 15 years ago and i was able to pull a ducks cd off the shelf at the shop and get it to these people from florida and it was awesome that's insane and it was just it was that we're connecting over music i had never met these people from florida before but they had seen that band play in florida and they wanted a record by that band and they were able to find that and it was great really special that's very great so that's one of colin's questions is how did the pandemic affect your business yeah i mean i think for for jeff and i both it was a lot of mail order like we really just sort of shifted gears in terms of just people all across the country that were like saying, well, I still want to get records, but I need to find them in different ways. So we were shipping a lot of stuff out. I mean, I know that myself and, and my wife, Laura, and we filled over a thousand orders, you know, and shipped records all over the country. And, and Jeff has been a really great mentor to me in terms of how you correctly put something in the mail because these are fragile yeah. they're, they're easily damaged and there's a lot of special tricks and tips that jeff has he could probably even do a tutorial in the future about how to put things in the mail because <laughs> it's such a there's such a ritual to it would you agree with that jeff oh i would i would you know i i uh, sometimes it takes me longer than than i like to to do it but i want to make sure i do it right because there are few things uh, more frustrating uh, than than having a, a cherished record arrive in the mail only to find that it's warped or broken or bent or somehow damaged uh, because of negligence on the part of the shipper or the, the carrier. Um, and so, yeah, I, I over time have, uh, you know, absorbed some some tricks from other uh, people I've known and, and developed some some things myself. But yeah, if anybody ever wants help shipping a record, come on down to Ordock and I'll be happy to <laughs> something up. Do a live yeah. demo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so between nine years ago and today, when you've done when you did the vinyl show and when you started up the shop. Did you see an increase in vinyl sales? Oh, definitely. And, and I think Jeff can speak to this too in terms of, you know, how many U-Haul boxes end up getting emptied, right? That's always oh, a good, absolutely. that's a good measuring stick. Yeah, I mean, so, um, so as John mentioned, I, we, we both use U-Haul boxes and I wanna, uh, if U-Haul.com is <laughs> U-Haul, at U-Haul. <laughs> Hashtag U-Haul. If you're listening, we use your boxes uh, exclusively. We use them extensively. And I can attest to the longevity. I have, I have boxes that, looking at the markings and scribbles on the top right corner, I can tell uh, very clearly I've been using for seven or eight years, moving them uh, you know, multiple times a year, full to the brim with with records you know weighing 60 70 pounds a piece and uh um 
Oh boy, I got off tra- track here. Where were we going with this? Uh, have, have record sales climbed for oh, you in the last yes, few yes. years? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, the very first uh, Ordock Brewing Company record event, um, I drove up to Marquette with 15 boxes of records. And we were open for five hours. And uh, not long after that, we expanded to two days. And then uh, not long after that, we expanded to three days. And now uh, we consistently do four-day events from noon until uh, close of business. So that can be 11 p.m., it can be 1 a.m., depending on what's going on in Marquette and at Ordock. So, you know, that alone, I think, uh, tells us that, that the demand is higher than it was at the beginning because it's it it sustains itself we're not standing there twiddling our thumbs i mean i think colin can attest to the fact that that most of the time that we're there um we are in motion we're working we're moving stuff we're talking to to customers we're talking to to interested parties about um whatever it is that they're looking for or about records that they may want to to have us help them rehome um, you know, uh, it's a it's a lot of work and and a lot of uh, a lot of effort, but but it's worth it. I mean, I uh, I can't tell you exactly how many records end up getting uh, a, a new home during one of these events because we also get new records during the course of the event. People bring things in to give us. People bring things in to trade. People bring things in to sell to us. Uh, last time I was in town, I even had a box drop shipped to John because it wasn't going to get here fast enough to me, so that I could have it for the hungry people of Marquette. <laughs> and but uh, but we you know fairly frequently have uh, I don't know ten to fifteen empty U-Haul boxes, so that equates to a thousand to fifteen hundred records uh, going out the door. That's impressive. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. <laughs> So this question isn't written down, but I figure you might know the answer to this, Jeff. So I got my copy of Zeppelin IV here, and this is not a remastered. It's not a reprint. This is an original from 1971, but this okay. but this Pink Floyd record is a remastered, and I've noticed lately that the older vinyl is lighter than the new vinyl. Could you care to explain why? Well, um, it depends. I mean, it really depends. You know, uh, in some cases, it is that uh, that that belief that 180 gram vinyl is superior, um, and I'm and I'm honestly not sure where that came from. My suspicion is that. It is an outgrowth of the the enduring uh, vinyl consumers through the 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 dearth of vinyl production tended to be either um, people listening to underground music or audiophiles. So audiophile vinyl uh, historically was um, thicker, heavier than than the the. Um, for lack of a better word, consumer-grade records. So, um, you know, so like a 1980 repressing of Dark Side of the Moon 
would have been on uh, probably 80 or 100 gram vinyl, the kind that you can hold between your hands and wiggle it back and forth, and it goes. So, like RCA had a, a formulation called Dynaflex that was even thinner. It's like 65 grams. And at the same time, companies like uh, Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs were making 180, 200 gram pressings of uh, all kinds of things, classical records, um, uh, legacy artists like like Carol King and Janis Joplin and Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones. So there were these sets that Mobile Fidelity Sound Labs made called the UHQR, ultra high quality recordings. And it would be the album in a in a box that you know you could a box big enough to put seven records in but it would house house just the one record and it would have like a, a super thick sleeve and then the super thick version of the jacket with the original artwork and some padding and maybe some extra liner notes and stuff like that all stuffed into this box and those went for uh at the time 80 or 100 bucks which was a lot of money in the early and mid 80s they now sell for eight, nine, twelve hundred dollars. Um, wow! But, Oof. Uh, but so I so my my belief, Colin, is that is that uh, when um, people started to take interest in records again, uh, some of the record companies looked at it as a selling point, and so, uh, for instance, sub pop records. Um, back in the early 2000s most of their records were 180 grams and I, I know John's heard me tell this story before so bear with me John but uh, but um, I went to a store I lived in Oakland California at the time and I went to a local record shop in San Francisco and I bought two sub pop releases one by the shins O inverted world that features uh, 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 the lead song is featured in uh, the film Garden State and a, a record by a band called Comets on Fire and I took them home and they both sounded terrible I put it on, they were brand new I opened them up, I put the Shins record on and I know the song because it's in the movie and we have the soundtrack and it starts off with so much surface noise that I, it, I found it unlistenable I opened the Comets on Fire LP and put it on and found it to be similarly distracting with the amount of noise and snap, crackle, and pop going on. So I pulled out sub-pop records that I had owned since the early 80s, early mid-80s, uh, a, a Flaming Lips 45 and a compilation called Sub-Pop 200, and I played them to see if, if my memory was wrong, are my ears deteriorating, what's going on? But no, these records that I'd already had for over 20 years sounded great. They sounded flawless. The, the pressing was amazing. So I wrote uh, an email to Sub Pop saying that I was disappointed and that there was no reason for them to keep pressing these records on 180-gram vinyl if they were going to make these noisy, shallow recordings. I gave them some uh, ideas of records to listen to if they needed to be reminded of what a real record sounded like including the then-current Einsturz and Neubauten release, Perpetuum Mobile. It was a direct metal master from, I think, uh, Europa Disc in Germany, and, and they 
and it was it just sounds so open and beautiful and clean and clear and i said you know if you're trying to save money on your pressing you should get stuff made in jamaica it would sound better and there was so much snap, crackle, and pop coming through my speakers, I expected to see elves, which is a, a, a reference to Rice Krispies, which is a nice uh, you know, Michigan connection there from yeah. Battle Creek. But uh, um, I was pretty fired up, and I sent a long email to them. And I got a response, and I was surprised. And the, their uh, marketing person, who is still with them, I see her name on things to this day, um, said you know we've had some complaints uh but your email is actually making its way around the office and it took me a few years before i bought another sub pop record but when i did i was glad to see that they had either switched plants switched mastering companies or both because it sounded good but you know that 180 gram sticker on the front didn't mean that it was going to sound good all it meant was that it was going to be heavy which meant that if i was going to move a box of 100 records it was going to weigh almost twice as much as if they were 80 grams hmm. i mean you know obviously 80 is less than half of 180 but you have to count for the sleeves and the jackets <laughs> <laughs> so so my next question for you is if there is a record, a unicorn record, if you will, that is super rare, limited edition, made in Japan, maybe it was pressed in David Bowie's basement, whatever it is, <laughs> something super, super rare, what would it be that you would want in your collection? John? What's, yeah. What, what's, what's your David Bowie basement record? Well, okay, so I can only imagine what David Bowie's basement would look like, you know? Like, it'd be like a, there's a saucer down there and a jetpack. And, yeah, I'm seeing, yeah, gold. Right, gold, yeah. right. Yeah, gold so, jetpack. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think, you know, there are certain records, like, I think this idea of scarcity is, is an interesting conversation in the 21st century, but... But the idea that things are out there, things are out there, if you're willing to dig and if you're willing to have shipped. A good example of that is um, looking at the Led Zeppelin record here. There was a reunion record that Jimmy Page and Robert Plant recorded in the 90s with an MTV special called Unleaded. And the record was called No Quarter. And it's really interesting because it's versions of, of blues songs and Led Zeppelin recordings, but they do them with um, different instrumentation with artists from the Middle East, and it's really interesting. But that record only came out on CD and cassette in the U.S., but the vinyl release was, a, like Jeff was mentioning, released in, in Europe or Asia. So getting a copy of No Quarter on vinyl would be a real treat. I'm also encouraging people to be patient, too, and the idea that, you know, these records will, will come back again. You know, like someone's looking for Beef T2's Cosmic Thing, you know, and, and that has the one that has Love Shack on it, you know. And it, it's out there, but it's one of those things where people are like, well, I want an original copy, and, you know, it's only in Brazil, you know, and are you willing to, you know, <laughs> the, the process of getting a record from Brazil, a little more complicated, you know. But I think that, you know, it is, it is a lot of those releases from the 1990s that were pressed on vinyl but in limited quantities or outside the united states that are a little harder to find so yeah i think that no quarter by uh robert plant and jimmy page good example jeff how about you uh well that is a good example john and i, I actually wasn't aware of that record so now i'm going to be on the lookout for it <laughs> but, uh, um, well, when the levy I, breaks the record's gonna yeah, show as up as soon as that as soon as it flows through i'll i'll grab it i uh, i uh 
uh, I think you made some good points about, uh, or, or you you moved toward touching on the idea of scarcity in the 21st century. You know, pretty much everything is available. Um, so there, are, like, there's this record by a, a Jamaican guitarist named Ernest Wranglin called "In Search of the Lost Rhythm," and um, I listened to it with two young Frenchmen in a cafe in Morocco in uh, in 1998, and and I've wanted a copy of it ever since. Now I can. There are two available on the internet right now. One's in Switzerland, and one's in the United States for a hundred dollars. And you know, I I just I I, I don't want to pay a hundred dollars for it and i don't want to buy it from somebody i don't know for a hundred dollars because i can't see what it looks like um but i would really like to have that record so it'll show up at some point hopefully if for three bucks when it walks through the door <laughs> and uh, this offers me a box of records for for a few dollars now but that said there are the, uh, as far as unicorns okay like there's this there's a an artist that i really like um who was a friend of mine uh his name is nicodemus and he is uh deceased um uh but he had a band with two other guys in the mid 70s called spellbound eclipse and i'm not even certain that the 45 exists that is rumored to be out there i've heard of it i've heard tell that that uh, that, that that somebody I know actually has one, but I haven't been able to get them to confirm that. Um, I would really love to get my hands on that. I've never heard it. I don't know what it sounds like. I again, I don't know if it's even real. So that would be the unicorn, you know? Wow. Yeah, a true unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'll mention is another great uh, Dayton, Ohio band. They're called Brainiac. And, and all of your listeners need to know about Brainiac, um, really underappreciated group. They had a record on vinyl that I've had copies of in the past and have turned loose, catch and release, <laughs> back out into the wild. It's called Bonsai Superstar. And they were directly influenced by a song by David Bowie from The Man Who Sold the World, just called She Shook Me Cold, where he used the synthesizers. And this is a band from the 90s that used a lot of synthesizers and used a lot of different electronic instruments and they were really ahead of their time they're really influential their lead singer sadly passed away but brainiac brainiac on vinyl is really special to me so if anybody's listening and they have brainiac on vinyl just like the nicodemus record that jeff mentioned that's special and and definitely in the the unicorn category nice wow well, well, I suppose you want me to say as well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, of course, yeah. I'm always fascinated with your uh, with your want lists and your current interests, Colin. Yeah. What are you looking for? Well, well, I'm I'm usually not looking for anything too too rare. I I generally I just look for general records. But one rare record that I do have and that I was looking for for a while is. The Eric Clapton Crossroads box set. It was a it's a four LP box set from 1988, and it was made up of all of uh, of uh, Eric Clapton's songs from when he was with uh, what was it the 
blue blues 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 breakers blues breakers uh, when he was with the blues breakers all the way through cream uh derek and the dominoes and obviously his solo career but the one reason why i've always wanted that record was there is a certain there are two act there are two versions of the song after midnight one version ha- is uh, kind of like the original from 1970, but instead it has a horn section, unlike the original. But then there's another version of of After Mid- of After Midnight where it's a lot slower. Uh, it's a lot like it's heavier with bl- it's a heavier blue bluesy uh, <clears throat> redone. In fact, if I remember correctly, it was done for a Michelob Ultra commercial. <laughs> So, but I could not find it anywhere on like Spotify or Apple Music. The only way you could ever get that song is if it's on the radio, which I, which I sometimes hear it on like uh, Classic Rewind on Sirius XM, or you had to actually find the box set. But the one I was always looking for is the vinyl box set. And I did actually find it in a vinyl shop up in Houghton for 40 bucks. So did you purchase it? Oh, of course. Okay, so it is now okay. yours. Yes. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I was afraid there for a second, Colin. You know, I, I was afraid you were going to say that you'd left it behind it. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm sure you've overheard me say this to, to people at the record shows before, but the only records I regret are the ones I didn't buy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of record shows, um, you have an upcoming show at the Ordock. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is our last show of the season before the snow flies. So this is going to be uh, October 20th through the 23rd. Okay. So, so Thursday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a four-day birthday weekend. Hey, I'm well, gonna have to come buy some records. Yeah, we get some Juice Newton well, we records out. Birthdays, then. <laughs> you and, you and yeah, it's like the birthday club <laughs> here. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jeff is is making the long trek all the way up from Farmington Hills, and I'm gonna make the long trek all the way down to Spring Street at the Ardock, and we're gonna unload and set up and have the best show yet. And I hope that. Everybody who's listening and, and everybody who's here recording with us, um, that they join us at the show. We usually do. My husband, I'll, yeah, final and Ordock beer. He's he's a happy camper. But I just want to say that the Ordock is a friendly, family friendly venue for teens to come and check out some vinyl. So Absolutely, that's, that's an advantage. Yeah, I mean, kids are allowed until yep. I think till nine. Then they might booch yeah. out, but. Um, well, and they, if you're there with uh, with a parent, they won't. Okay. And uh, unless unless there's a unless there's a ticketed event, which uh, I don't know what the evening entertainment is for this this round, but it is a that is uh, a good idea to point that out that, that it is uh, family friendly, and they do have some excellent root beer. There is um, a selection so that that they may, I think I don't know if they make it or if they get it somewhere locally, but but it's really good root beer. They also have a variety of uh, other non-alcoholic beverages, including some some pretty good coffee, and uh, and your they while they don't serve food, they do welcome uh, you uh, uh, patrons bringing food with them or ordering in as well. And there's plenty of room upstairs, comfortable tables to sit and have a meal, uh, and tag team looking at records and hang out and talk about records and 
pop culture and movies and cartoons and comic books and books and you know the yes. world at large because you sell more than just vinyl you have t-shirts sometimes yep. Oh, yep. Colin's sporting one right now oh, thanks Colin <laughs> and You're I, I should have worn mine I bought from you guys last <laughs> time I have I have a Nirvana one that I am very fond of all right I know yeah I mean it's a little bit of everything I mean it's it's really you know yeah from from CDs to cassettes of course thousands of vinyl records DVDs VHS tapes comic books books um, we have posters from all of our past shows you know poster prints um, a little bit of everything i mean we've stickers jeff brings a really great variety of stickers as well i'm trying to think if there's is that, is that covering everything what do you think uh, it seems to cover i think it covers just about everything um uh the hours are important we get we open at noon uh which is when the brewery opens um and we are there all day and all night so uh if people are interested in the best selection coming Thursday at noon before anybody else gets there. Now we do have our, a friend named Brent who's uh, always the first guy there. So if you if you beat him there, <laughs> he'll be surprised. But uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's, also, it isn't as you know. It's, it's not usually terribly busy uh, the first couple hours of the day. So if people were interested in talking to us about rehoming unused uh, media whether that's posters, t-shirts, CDs, et cetera, records especially, um, it's best to talk to us about that um, when it's not as busy, uh, though any time is fine. And of course, you know, I, I encourage people to, to look at the, the condition of records. Generally, if they're priced um, above six or eight bucks, we're gonna be fairly certain that they're really nice and clean, maybe a little dust here and there, but, uh, but you know, not, not all beat up. But uh, the light is better in the early part of the day, especially if there's a band in the evening. They tend to, you know, we tend to turn the lights down a little bit for ambiance for, <laughs> for the music. But um, other than that, uh, you know, if anybody wants to bring us a pizza, that's a welcome too. And you know, anything that's flat and round is welcome at our show. <laughs> <laughs> is pineapple welcome on pizza? Oh yeah. In my world, it is. Okay. Yeah. I know it's a hotly debated topic. Uh, you know what? We're not going to say no to any pizza. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, all pizzas are welcome. Okay. All people are welcome. And, and I will point out, we, we do have square records, so square pizza is fine, too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we asked John to cart in a, a record player, but um, want to play us out here? Something fun? Sure. Something. Sure. Okay. Let's see if this is actually going to work. This is a portable classroom record player. Um some of these came from uh, uh, they came from Nagani Middle School. These are portable Caliphone record players. So oh, I love those. Those are great machines. Let's see if this uh, get this thing going. Yeah, let's see. If we can let's see. Get it turning. Let's see. What's going on here? Let's see. I told him Mercury is in retrograde. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's turning now. There we go. Okay, what are we going to listen to? Yeah, let's see.
Joe. don't think it's working. Joe, 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 that was Joe Jet, though. Yes. <laughs> but you know, we could have played a game with that, like <laughs> name the song. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was more like it was more like John Judd. <laughs> well, um, technical difficulties, but you know what? That's, that's the, the that's the theme of today for. And I think also what's really cool is a record sounds great if you can play it at different speeds. It's fun too. Yes, yes. it is. It is fun to do that. I remember doing that as a kid. Well, thank you both. Um, for your time i know we will come and see you at the next show and this is the last show like through the winter then that's right that's okay, right till spring right. yeah okay. so it's a good time good time to come and get your uh, your holiday shopping done pick yeah. up your your billy eilish your your harry styles your rolling stones your uh your rare jazz records your uh, funky reggae and african lps come see us absolutely well thank you so much and uh colin want to do a sign off like if we haven't have we don't have an official one yet. So if you want to just make something up right now, all right. Well, well then I guess I might quote the great Larry King then. From all of us here at Eight Eighteen Media, thanks for listening. And instead of saying goodbye, let's say so long.